We turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 11, where Paul describes what a man of God is like, or a woman of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 11. And Paul writes, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, take now the words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. Apply them, Lord Jesus, to our lives today. Make us men and women of God who love you and serve you and are willing to count the cost of what it means to be your disciple. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. When Paul called Timothy a man of God, I am absolutely certain that it got his attention. Because this is a description that is used in the Old Testament to describe some of the great leaders of Israel such as Moses, David, Samuel, Elijah, and Elisha. And when Timothy heard that phrase, man of God, I'm sure he took notice. This was Paul's way of telling Timothy that he had an important ministry, that God wanted to use this young man in a significant way for his glory and his honor. You, man of God of God, Paul says. So what is a man of God like? First of all, Paul says a man of God is known by what he flees from. With that little word, but, starting verse 11 of our text, there is an obvious contrast being made here. The contrast is between those in verses 9 through 10 who have been caught in the money trap And those who run from it, look at the contrast he makes. In verse 9, Paul says, Those that want to get rich uh, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And he goes on to say, The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some longing for it have wandered away from the faith. And then we see that little word, but, starting verse 11, But, Paul says, flee from these things, O man of God. In other words, do not get snared by a love for money. Paul says it will plunge you into ruin and destruction and pierce you through with many griefs. 
The word flee describes a very deliberate effort to run from something. In fact, we get our English word fugitive from this word. And you think of a fugitive on the run. Remember that uh, show, those of you who are older, The Fugitive, they ended up making it into a movie. But that used to be a weekly program. And you'd watch this guy running, on the run, always looking over his shoulder, deliberate effort to flee. And Paul says that ought to be the case with sin. And you could translate it, ever be fleeing or keep on fleeing, because it is written in the present tense. If you consider the danger of toying with temptation, you can see why Paul tells Timothy to run. Flee these things. And this isn't the only time that Paul uses this word, a flee. First Corinthians 6, verse 18, he says to flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee youthful lusts. And so it was kind of a favorite term that Paul used to describe what ought to be our attitude towards sin. We run from it. We don't play around with it. We don't toy with temptation. We run from it, sometimes literally running from it. Think of Joseph. Genesis 39, he was in the household of of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife was after him. Joseph was a handsome young man. We're told that he refused to be with her. He would not give in to her temptation. And one day she caught him alone in the house, and he literally ran. He fleed from temptation. And so a man of God, a woman of God, is known by what he or she flees from. We run from sin. We run from temptation. In contrast to that, Paul then says a man of God is known by what he follows after. Not only does he run from something, but he pursues after something. Look at verse 11. Paul says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And this word is also translated as a present tense, which means an ongoing thing, continually be pursuing, carries the idea of of pursuing something eagerly, pursuing something earnestly. And I was fascinated to find that this word is, is found 45 times in the New Testament, 32 of those times it is translated with some form of the word persecute. So this isn't lollygagging after spiritual things. It is pursuing something with a purpose. There is an intensity to that word. (laughs) Pursuing after. And Paul gives some examples of that which we are to follow after. He begins with our relationship with God, with words like righteousness, godliness, and faith. The word righteousness emphasizes our actions. It is doing what is right in obedience to God's command. And then the word godliness deals more with the inner man. It is a reverence for God that flows out of a worshiping heart. 
So when it comes to that which we pursue after, it begins with our relationship to God. That's where it's got to start, right? It's got to start in our relationship to God because everything else flows out of our relationship to God. If we are not in a right relationship with God, if we are not pursuing the things of God, we're in trouble. It starts there. And so I trust you have that living relationship with God, that you can say today, I know that Jesus is my Savior. I am pursuing a relationship with Him. Righteousness, godliness, and faith. And then the next three really talk about our relationship with others. Love, perseverance, gentleness. The word love here is, is the word agape love. It's the, it's, it's the uh, choosing to love sacrificially. It, it, it's not an emotional love that is rooted in our feelings. Because there's sometimes when we don't feel like showing love. Would you, would you agree with that? Even in your marriage sometimes, maybe, huh? With your kids and other relationships, there are times when we just do not feel that, what do you call it, your heart going pitter-patter or whatever, That's it, that emotional aspect. Agape love is choosing to love that person even when you don't feel like loving that person. And that's the kind of love we are to have even for our enemies. Right? Agape love. Perseverance. Interesting word. It means literally to remain under. It pictures one who does not quit, one who does not run away when difficulty comes, when opposition comes, when relationships are maybe difficult. Reminds me of a man who taught Sunday school to a group of boys and he got discouraged and he decided he was going to quit. And word kind of got out that the teacher was not going to be there any longer. And he came to class the last day. He was planning on quitting. And he heard two boys talking. One said, yeah, I heard, heard, heard teachers quitting. And the other boy had been there from the, the, the day that that man started. He said, oh, no, he's not going to quit. He said the first day of class that, he, that God had called him to teach us. That he was God's man for us. <laughs> and then the last thing this boy said, God's man doesn't quit. What would you do if you were that teacher? He decided he ain't going to quit. <laughs> God's man doesn't quit. God's man has a perseverance in relationships. And, and Paul says that's what the man of God pursues, follows after how about the word gentleness? Often translated meekness. And one author says that gentleness is the quality of tender, patient self-control in dealing with people amidst the difficulties of ministry. It is strength under control. Meekness isn't weakness. Jesus was meek and he was not weak. Strength under control. And so are you following after these things, pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness? A man of God is known by what he flees from. A man of God is known by what he follows after. And thirdly, a man of God is known by what he fights for. 
Kind of interesting when you, you, you end verse 11 and he's talking about gentleness and then the first word of verse 12 is fight. <laughs> what does he fight? Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the second time in this letter that Paul tells Timothy to fight. The first time we found it in chapter 1, verse 18, and, and, and there the word used is the picture of a soldier, the picture of warfare, and certainly the Christian life is a battle, isn't it? And we wage war not against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle against principalities and powers that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. And so there is that aspect to the fight. Uh, the word here is, is the picture of an athlete. That kind of a fight. And some suggest that Paul might be describing a boxer, maybe a wrestler. And what's interesting is we get our word agony from this word fight. The word agon. And we get our English word agony. So some have, have said maybe we could translate this phrase, fight the good fight, as agonize the good agony of faith. <laughs> agonize the good agony. So there is a battle, isn't there? There is a challenge in terms of what it means to, to be a man of God, a woman of God. And when Paul talks about faith here, he's not talking about Timothy's personal faith. But rather, he uses the word faith here to, to refer to God's word. Uh, one uh, author says, faith refers to the body of Christian truth, the contents of the word of God. And then he quotes from Jude, uh, verse 3, the faith which was once for all delivered for the saints. So fighting the good fight of faith is really standing on the truth of God's Word. That's what he's getting at. And that is something that is worth fighting for, isn't it? In a culture today that, that really has abandoned truth, absolute truth, we need to stand on that truth. We need to fight for it. Not in a nasty way, not in a, uh, an unkind way, but we firmly stand on the Word of God and we don't move. And if people want to call us intolerant, let them. If they want to call us closed-minded, bigoted, I don't care what we are called, so be it. We don't answer to them, we answer to God. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul did that in his ministry, didn't he? When he came to the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what did he say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And then remember what the next? I have kept the faith. Not again his personal trust, though that was true also, but he had kept the faith in terms of that body of teaching that had been delivered to him, standing on the promises of God. Our Kent Hughes says this call comes to every generation, 
this call to fight the good fight of faith. He said during the Reformation, Luther agonized the agony at, at the Diet of Worms. And amidst the constant struggle that followed, John Calvin, despite a pitiful multitude of physical maladies that he referred to as a constant death struggle, despite the persistent intrigues within the church and without, he fought the good fight. Hughes says in our own century, Gresham Machen, the founder of Westminster Seminary, stood tall in the good fight. He said, our generation must contend for the faith. We must not be contentious. There's a difference, isn't there? But we must fight for the apostolic faith. He says doctrine is all important because it determines the course of our lives. The truth of the gospel is everything. It is the difference between life and death. We must withstand false teachers. We must think clearly as we define our theology. We must never compromise the truth. Are you willing to fight? The man of God fights the good fight of faith. Finally, Paul says, a man of God is known by what he is faithful to. When Timothy was ordained into the ministry, he made a public confession, a public commitment to be faithful to God's word. And Paul describes that in verse 12, where he says, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You pastors remember that, don't you? As you stood before the congregation and you made that confession that you would be faithful to the Word of God. That you would teach the truth of God as God gave you strength to do so. Some of you are in Bible school and seminary and you're going to be entering ministry someday and you're going to stand before God and before the congregation and make that confession that you're going to stand upon the truth. Of God's word. And there are some who have made that confession years ago that have not kept that confession. They've drifted. And Paul says to Timothy, You made that good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And now, based on that confession, Paul challenges Timothy to be faithful to the end. Look at verse 13. He says, I charge you. And that's a solemn charge, isn't it? I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Timothy, you have promised to be faithful and you stand on that promise. You made that confession. And you are to be faithful to that confession that you made until the day that Jesus comes again. Forever, for the rest of your life. And Paul gives some reasons why we ought to be faithful to that confession. For one thing, God sees all that we do. Did you notice that phrase? I charge you in the presence of God. In the presence of God. 
It is in His presence that we carry out our ministry. And when we live in light of the fact that God sees all that we do, doesn't that change or shouldn't it change the way we live? We can hide things from people, can't we? Doing things in secret that nobody knows. Maybe put on a front, but you can't hide it from God. And so Paul says, be faithful. God sees all that we do. In the presence of God, I give you this charge. He points to Jesus, who was faithful to his calling. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. And so he's saying to Timothy, you be like Jesus. (laughs) He was faithful to his confession. When standing before Pontius Pilate, Jesus did not give in to fear. He was faithful to the Father regardless of the cost. And we are to be faithful as well. And then Paul says, Timothy, you be faithful because your desire, your goal, the purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 15 and 16. This coming which he will bring about at the, at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see to him. Notice that last phrase, to him. Be honor and eternal dominion. We are not in ministry for personal profit. Neither are we in ministry to please men. We are called to glorify Jesus. That's the reason why he calls us. And so that's why we flee from sin. That's why we follow after righteousness. That's why we fight the good fight. That's why we are faithful to the word of God. And thankfully, we do it with the strength that God provides. Did you notice how Paul describes the Lord in these verses? He is the one who calls us to eternal life. He is the one who gives life to all things. He is the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality. That's the God who calls us. And the God that calls us is the God that equips us, doesn't he? God will never call you to do anything that he does not give you that which is needed to fulfill that ministry. So he is clearly able to give us all that we need to live as men and women of God. Are you a man of God? Is it seen in what you flee from, seen in what you follow after, seen in what you fight for, seen in what you are faithful to? May God make all of us men and women of God who stand upon the truth of his word. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the men of God that you used in the Old Testament. 
Moses and David and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha. Thank you for Timothy, as Paul challenges him to be a man of God. May we rise up as men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.